Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On April 19, 2016, 11 storytellers shared their stories with a sold-out crowd at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. The theme for the evening was hunger. Eileen Joyce, one of our regular storytellers at York Story Slam, won with a story about her cat's tactics for waking Eileen up to feed him. Here's Eileen. I asked Brad not to draw my name first, so good job, Brad. <laughs> um, this is a story about a very hungry cat I lived with for 12 years. His name was Tippy, and um, I like to call him highly food motivated. That was my approach. I got him from my aunt and uncle when he was about three years old, and so that's a different story. And uh, they said, just in passing, they're like, oh, he's always just had food out, but you should maybe put him on a diet. He's getting a little older, and he's gaining some weight, so this would be good. So I'd never had a cat. I thought, sure, I'll just, that's fine. I'll just give him food in the morning and the evening. He'll love that. Tippy made it clear pretty early on that he did not love that. <laughs> um, I took him back home, and he had this distinctive, I'm hungry meow. It was like, meow, meow, like that at about 5 a.m. every day. And um, I would throw pillows at him, and that didn't stop it. And then it escalated to books and shoes, and I think I might have thrown a cactus at him once. <laughs> Just like anything I could reach with my eyes closed and th throw it in his direction. Um, he was really good at running away from that stuff. And he, we finally reached a, like a detente where I would allow him to try and wake me up in the morning, but the rule was strictly no meowing. So <laughs> he got really creative. Like, <laughs> Um, he was terrified of grocery bags, like plastic grocery bags. Like if I came home from the grocery store with all my stuff, he was in another room. He didn't want to be anywhere near it. But if you happen to have a grocery bag, maybe something from Target in the corner of your bedroom at 5 a.m., he was that bag's best friend. Uh, he'd like, you know, do little circles on it and dig in it and dance and play on it and just like make all the crinkly sounds you could make on the grocery bag. Um, <laughs> He also quickly realized that he had a cold, wet nose. And almost every morning I woke up to a cold nose on the tip of my nose trying to wake me up. But I also really enjoy sleeping, so I would just turn over and push him away, and then he would come the other direction with the cold, wet nose. And um, it got kind of used to it, you know. Um, things, the one thing that did get a response out of me was when he discovered that chewing on electrical cords would get my attention. He like found the power strip beside my bed and he started chewing on the cords and I would shoot out of bed and I'd be like, get away, get away. And he would get excited and run down the hallway and then I would just close the door behind him and go back to bed. But since that got a response, it was like every morning he was chewing on electrical cords. So I finally decided I found a piece of a telephone cord that wasn't plugged into anything and just laid it in front of the power strip. <laughs> and he would chew on that and I would just go back to bed. And so when that didn't get a response anymore, he stopped with the electrical cords. So I feel like it made him just like a really creative cat. Like, <laughs> he kept his brain juices going as he got older. He would just always try to find new ways to make noise. Like, he would bat the, you know, the little twisty thing on the blinds. He would hit that with his paw because that made a noise. Sometimes he would push the door against the door stopper repeatedly to bang it. 
and you know, I could have just slept without him in my room, but who wants to do that? I, I liked to encourage his creativity. Um, so a couple of years ago, uh, Tippy died at the ripe old age of 15, and I have to say, like, the first thing I missed was not waking up to a cold nose in my face every morning. It's weird how you can miss something like that. Um, but I got a new cat named Manny, who was young and playful, and I could just leave food out for whenever, and he didn't really seem to care about when breakfast came. He just ate some food, and it was no problem. But then this winter, I was like, Manny's getting a little fat. Like, he's been lazy this winter, and he put on some weight, and I thought, I'm going to put him on a diet. And now we're starting this all over again. <laughs> I didn't know. I think it might just be me. Like, I'm creating this monster. Um, we're still in the meowing stage. Um, I'm throwing pillows, and we're going to see how that goes. Eileen on the spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Matt McDonnell. Matt talked about a vision quest he participated in when he was in college. So uh, I told my mother that I was coming out to a story slam, and I had explained what that was because she'd never heard of it before. And I told her that the theme was hunger. And she said, I worked very hard to make sure you were never hungry in your entire life. <laughs> And it's true, it's true. Uh, as, as a kid growing up, there were four boys in our house, and my mother would go to the grocery store, and, you know, if their lawn needed to be mowed or the windows needed to be washed, the dishes needed to be put away, it was always a fight, but she never needed to ask for help putting away the groceries because we wanted to see what was coming in. So growing up, I was never really hungry, but when I got into college, I'd gotten involved in this Native American group. We went out into the woods and did sweat lodges and learned survival skills, and so when they told me that they were going to be doing a vision quest, which if you don't know, it means you go up on the side of the hill for three days with no food and no water and sit by yourself doing nothing, <laughs> trying to have a spiritual exhibition. I, I, I said, three days, no food, no water. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I changed my mind after day one. I wasn't so sure I was cut out for it. Uh, it's a very different thing to be hungry and have no way to get food. I knew that I could leave this hill at any time. Right down at the bottom of the hill, there was a tent full of food for us when we came down, and there was no shame to coming down early. You came down when you were ready, but I, I was dedicated. I wanted to stay the full three days. So after, after the first day, I'm looking around, and I'm like trying to remember what you can eat, and there's no dandelions there. I'm looking at the bark on the trees, thinking it might be a good idea. And then I'm remembering, I'm seeing ants walking, and I'm remembering that they eat those in some countries. When I found myself looking at the dirt, thinking it would at least fill my stomach, I knew that I was in trouble. But they, the important thing of this story is that I was not, in fact, up on the hill alone. There were five or six other people who'd gone up to do this at the same time. It was a large piece of land belonging to a friend of mine. And we all started in the same spot, but we spread out and hiked and hiked and hiked trying to find our perfect spot. So we'd be spread out across this land. And it turns out we hiked and hiked and spread out and then wound up coming back. And we were all in a tight little circle, but none of us knew it. None of us could see each other. Now, for safety purposes, there were several other people who had been trained in walking silently through the woods 
who it was their job to come up several times a day and check on us and make sure that we were in fact okay. But the goal was that we should never ever see them. And they were good at what they did. I'd, I'd seen them walking silently before, but we were packed so closely together that their job was very, very hard. So I was sitting in my little circle looking at the ants trying to decide if it was worth it. And I heard this, <coughs> and I looked over, and sure enough, there's two of my friends, the ones who are supposed to be watching us, are standing there, and they're looking at me with this look of fear, and then they quickly ducked down, hiding behind a bush. So it wasn't until the end of this vision quest that I came back down the hill, and I'm finally eating some food, that I found out their side of the story. The two of them had been walking very carefully, trying to be silent, trying to check on all of us while not being seen, which was very challenging. And the one of them had turned to make a hand signal to the other. And when he turned, he turned straight into the web of a spider. <laughs> and it wasn't a little spider. It was one of those big, huge, hairy orb spiders. And as the spider webs on his face, he knew that he'd seen the spider as he went into the web. And he's checking his face, looking to see where it was. And he finally realizes that it's in his mouth. <laughs> he said it was on the little hangy downy thing back there. So when I had heard the <coughs> <laughs> he had been trying to expel the spider. When he realized that I'd heard him and he had that extreme look of fear, he ducked down and he realized that there was no easy way to get this spider out because it was holding on for dear life. So he had a choice. He could make more noise knowing that there's other people around him that aren't supposed to hear him, or he could swallow the spider. So the good news is he was able to successfully swallow the spider without making more noise. It took him a little while because it was fighting the entire way. <laughs> If you're wondering, he said it tasted kind of like chicken. <laughs> But ultimately, the important part of the story is even when you're really, really, really hungry, there are always worse things you could be eating. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from our friend Jim Breslin, the founder of Westchester Story Slam and co-founder of Lancaster Story Slam. It was Jim's first visit to York Story Slam, and we were delighted when his name was drawn and he told us a story about a month he spent at a wilderness canoe camp when he was a teenager. So I was 16 years old, and I'm sitting in my living room with my mother, my father, and the executive director of a wilderness canoe camp um, from Canada. And my parents have been pressuring me to go up to this canoe camp for the summer because basically three months before I drank half a bottle of Southern Comfort and passed out in the snow while sledding. And my mother was horrified and my father was livid and they didn't know how to handle me over the summer. So I was under a lot of pressure to go, and I sat listening to this executive director, and I really didn't want to go. But after his presentation, my father said to me, Jim, do you have any questions? And my, one, my question was, how's the food at this camp, and how much food is there? And the gentleman said, when you're in camp, it's all you can eat, and it's delicious. 
Technically, he was right. When you were in camp, it was delicious. But for three weeks out of this month, we weren't in camp. We were in a canoe traveling 250 miles across all these lakes in Canada. And the food was rationed. Um, the food each morning was um, cream of wheat, mush in the morning, every morning for breakfast. In the afternoon, it was peanut butter and jelly on bannock. And if you don't know what bannock is, it's basically what you get when you mix together white flour and concrete mix, <laughs> right? And um, so that was our lunch. And at night was some kind of gruel that was basically somewhere below Dinty Moore stew and right above cat food. And that's what we ate every night. And it was rationed because in, for these three weeks, we had to carry them in these things called a wanagon. A wanagon is a giant, think of it like a giant cooler made out of wood. And it's huge. And it has a strap on it. And there was one for each canoe. So there were eight kids on the trip, so there were four wanagons. And how you carried the wanagon is you had to put it on a rock. And then you bent down so you lifted it with your legs, put the strap over your head, and then lifted. And it quickly real we quickly realized the Indian word wanagon was basically the Indian word for son of a bitch. <laughs> and it was so damn heavy. So we're eating this rationed food, and we're hungry, starting on day two. We're just famished. And my canoe mate and I, Eric, Eric starts telling me, my mother makes the greatest short ribs. She slow cooks them all day with this barbecue sauce, serves them with coleslaw, and he's describing it. I can smell the, the, the barbecue sauce in the canoe in the lake. And I'm like, well, my mother makes this macaroni and cheese with three different types of cheese. And when you pick it up, it's so gooey and tasty. And we're in the canoe, we're just famished. And then we play a game. If I was in line at Wendy's, what would I would get a frosty? I'd get a double bacon cheeseburger. What would you get in line if you were Burger King? A Whopper? No, a double Whopper with cheese. And we were just playing this game because we were so famished. Every day we were playing this game. And then finally, after a couple of days, it's it, we're out there and we're totally famished, have, playing these, talking about food. And it starts pouring rain. And we are in a lake that you can barely see in the land in the distance. It's huge. And it just starts pouring buckets of rain. And we all instinctively reach to, like, to reach to the bottom of the duffel to grab our raincoats. And then we realize it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter because we're not going to church. We don't have to look good tonight. There's no girls we're going to see out here. And so we just realize these ponchos don't matter. We don't need them. And I end up wearing the same jeans for three weeks straight, um, losing 25 pounds. Um, but we get at the end of the three weeks, we get picked up in a bus with a big trailer where we put all the canoes. And I'm with the 15- and 16-year-old kids. There's another group of 17- and 18-year-olds that were picked up um, also. And this bus heads to a little town. And it's like a little village in northern Canada, and it has a grocery store and a diner. And all of us just go totally mad, like Lord of the Flies crazy. 
People are eating double cheeseburgers in the diner and fries. People are, kids are walking out of the grocery store with bags of food. You think they're feeding a family of four. There's a, an 18-year-old is on the bus behind me with a six-pack of beer halfway through guzzling it. There's a, I look out the window and a kid's throwing up on the sidewalk. And, and it was an amazing month. But what it left me for was a hunger for nature. And since then, it changed my life because my hunger for nature has led to me doing a lot of hiking, snowboarding, skiing, mountain biking. And it's just that month in the woods changed my life. Thanks. Our next event is scheduled for Tuesday, April 19th, when we'll draw 10 names from the hat to tell stories based on the theme, Hunger. Remember, you can purchase tickets on our website, yorkstoryslam.com, and while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at York Story Slam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from The Beer Ace. Find them at thebeerace.com. This episode comes to you with support from this month's featured brewery partner, Guinness. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.